Welcome to Talking Out Ranting. My name is Alistair Field. And I'm Greg Smith. Welcome to our current topic series, The Struggle to Be a Good Manager. And today our episode is actually an interview session. We're going to be discussing the experience of women in, in the professional world. And our special guest uh, shortly is going to be Maggie John. Now, just to set the stage for today, Greg and I have been friends for a very long time, and we've had a lot of interaction this week. I don't think it's too much yet, so I think we're still friends, but we have been talking a lot this week, a lot of texting and stuff, and I think we actually need a break next week, but we're all good. Is that correct, Greg? Yeah, yeah. I was going to I was gonna suggest at least a couple of days. Okay, that's okay. good. Uh, we've both been managers for a very long time. We have both benefited from other people assisting us in our management development We've been hosting this podcast series dealing with how we and others have missed the mark. And uh, of course, that's probably uh, represented in the, the title, The Struggle to Be a Good Manager. Now, Greg, uh, this is going to be a little different today, right? Yeah, you know what? We are on our 19th podcast, which is just amazing, uh, frankly, considering we started this with an idea at a diner with the idea of kind of having a chat around what we've experienced and learned and figured our family members would maybe listen to it. But as we began to have these discussions, we, we, we fairly quickly recognized that, you know, this is just our perspective and we have uh, only one perspective. And, you know, we're about the same age. I would say we're two old white guys and, and we have uh, an, an, a narrow, we're completely different in personalities and our backgrounds, but still it's a narrow view. And so we felt that one of the great opportunities was to invite others in so that we could uh, get a broader perspective and learn and grow ourselves as well as uh, give others a voice to share their perspective as well. So we're excited about this. So we've decided to move towards phase two, or maybe this is just phase 1.2, I'm not sure, but is a chance to interview and to have folks come along with us. You know, our original idea is this idea of being at the diner and we wanted to have extra chairs that we could invite others to come up to our table and just share with us and expand it and maybe take over half of the restaurant possibly. But uh, uh, that's our intention. And so we're really looking forward, uh, Maggie, to have you participate uh, in the dialogue today. And with everything else uh, that we've been doing in this podcast, the underlying theme has always been, let's just have a good conversation. Talking about ranting, things are a little crazy out there in the real world, and not a lot of people are listening. A lot of people are talking. And uh, just that healthy conversation, Greg, that's what we always want to do. Even if we have totally different views, which you and I do from time to time, it's that healthy conversation that we're really looking forward to. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So the experience of women in, in the professional environment. So today we are welcoming Maggie John. Maggie, welcome to Talking Not Ranting. Thanks guys for having me. This is exciting. Thank you. You've now re reached the pinnacle of your career by coming on with the TNR crew. There you go. I can now <laughs> retire at the ripe old age of 41. <laughs> <laughs> So Maggie, uh, I'm not sure if all our listeners know of you or not, but uh, you uh, have been a national producer, field reporter, and TV host for more than 15 years, which is why Greg and I are a little bit nervous about interviewing you. Uh, you've covered a vast array of local, national, and international stories. You've reported on some of the biggest news of the day from the 9-11 terrorist attacks, Hurricane Katrina, and the uh, 7.0 magnitude earthquake that rocked Haiti in 2010 to the historic story of Uganda recovering from years and years of war. As a former host of the longest running Canadian daily talk show, 100 Huntley Street, Maggie interviewed a wide variety of guests, people from all walks of life, and those making a difference in the communities, authors, victims of crime, actors, filmmakers, directors, thought leaders, politicians, and musicians. Maggie is most proud of the work that she does and the charity that she founded in 2013 called The Baby Depot which helps fight child poverty in the Hamilton area. She also uh, serves as chairperson for the Meeting House Family of Churches and is also a member of GEMS Girls Club Board of Directors. Maggie is a proud mother of Ethan and Joshua and the wife to her amazing husband, Elton. Welcome, Maggie. Thank you. We are so excited to have you here and joining us in our dialogue today. And what, a, what an amazing background and such... Uh, important stories that you've covered th through your career and uh, different voices that I'm sure that you've heard as a part of it. So we're glad to have your perspective and your insights uh, with us here today. 
Yeah, and that storytelling uh, profession still continues to, the, to this day with Context, which is a show that I joined uh, in May. Um, so I'm now the anchor of that show. And it's a current affairs uh, multi-faith news show um, that's produced by Crossroads, in, or Crossroads Christian Communications. So, yeah, I, love it. I have watched it on a couple of occasions, and I found the stories thoughtful, um, uh, really expanded my perspective, current, uh, you know, so it is a great program and uh, I look forward to continue to watch it. So thanks so much, Greg. Thank you. So so what we'd love to do is, you know, as we've kind of talked about, our, our program is really about kind of sharing some of those experiences we've had as we've come through our career that have um, both uh, either created really, really what I call safe, brave spaces for me to grow and learn and and to become a better person and a better employee and a better leader in an organization. And often in our last interview, we talked about, you know, sometimes that's through great models and great experiences. Sometimes it's not so great uh, experiences. So I wonder just throughout your career, if you might just share some of your experience um, and some of the things that maybe shine as bright spots and maybe others that were kind of crunchy, but, but through it, there was great learning that occurred. Yeah, I, I mean, I could go in so many different directions uh, with that. Do you mean from a managing perspective as an employee, as a woman? What do you mean by that? Well, I would love uh, both in a sense, just generally as a person, and then we, we will dive a little bit deeper, what are, what unique experiences as a woman. But uh, we're, we're, as we said at the beginning in the pre-program, we're fairly fluid, and it's about learning and experiencing um, uh, from, our, from our various um, uh, journeys. Yeah, I think um, some of the valuable lessons that I've learned both as an employee and as a manager of a, a fairly large group is um, just the key to listening. And I think, you know, that's just a part of just being a very good leader is being, being able to realize that you don't have all the answers. Um, you never will. And entrusting uh, the team that you have around you to also feed into that. So I think that's in so many different ways. That's in um, asking people for feedback. That's in, you know, just having uncomfortable conversations. Um, it, it's about um, just making sure that people feel like you're not the only funnel, um, that you're the only echo chamber and, and, uh, and that you are welcome to dialogue and change. And so um, I've, I think I've seen that in so many different ways. I've seen bad examples of that, um, where it's more of a, a, a top heavy kind of dominant leadership style where you just do what I say. Um, and then I've seen, you know, the um, team incorporation, which can also lead to some negative uh, learning styles as well, because then there's no direction. So I think people want direction, but they also want to feel like their voices are heard and that they can throw out something and someone's actually going to listen to them. And I feel like that's, that's the key to, to anything is, is closing our mouths more and, and just being keen to, to listen to different, um, different opinions, different ideas, and then filtering that through, right? As a leader, then you have to make that ultimate decision. But that's been key to me and just uh, my leadership style is, is acknowledging that I don't have it all and I never will but um, always surrounding myself with really smart people that do know more than I do and yeah. trusting them. I, I love that idea of the balance because you're right. There are the stereotypicals and often we start our podcast with the worst scenario. So it's like we paint the, you know, that, 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 that example you said of someone who's top down, this is the way I'm not listening, do it my way or else. But then there's the other end of the spectrum, which is what does everybody think as a leader? And it floats around and you never go anywhere with regards to it. So I love your, in, your idea, your insight around finding that balance. What, what for you have been um, the things that have been most important you've discovered from a direction perspective that have been important to give the teams that you've led? Hmm. Um, yeah, I think when it comes to direction, um, you know, I, I mean, I, I work in a world of television where everybody has an opinion on everything. And I work in a world also where it's donor supported. So everybody really does have an opinion on everything. Um, 
But, you know, I think direction comes from, and I can only speak in the world of TV, uh, just what makes sense for society, what, what do people want to hear, um, how do you echo that, how do you give people, might not necessarily be um, uh, what they think they need to hear, but uh, what's important as a Canadian, as a person. And so when you look at that from a leadership perspective, um, and just, you know, as an employee, as well, I think clear direction is so important, and and it's being able to open up a, a, an interesting space of just dialogue and being able to throw things out there. And I think that's not always welcome, right? I think you know, as we talk about um, just even uncomfortable conversations that we're having today in this world of you know anti-black racism and all of these things, what happens is there's so much emotion attached to everything that um, we lose direction. And so when you're talking about a workspace where, again, many people have different maybe perspectives on how things should be led or um, the direction of, of where things should go, um, I think there, there comes a point where as a leader, you need to understand what that clear direction is and be focused on that. But I don't think you, um, you can be stuck to it. Does that make sense? Like, I think you can't be married to it because Again, desires and focuses change so much that a part of that has to be fluid, to, to take your word there, Greg, um, a part of it has to be fluid in order to be able to um, service the customer, whoever that is, your clientele, to the best of your ability. Yeah, I love that. There's one of my favorite uh, new books I've read is called The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. And mm -hmm. she does really great work around being thoughtful uh, about why we're gathering, what's the purpose of the gathering, but then giving lots of fluidity within it. You know, it's almost having the sandbox that is there in order for which we're going to have conversations. But what you create in that sandbox, what you, where it goes might be somewhat different is, uh, is kind of a powerful approach, which I think you're kind of capturing there. And I imagine in the creative space that you're in, boy, you've got this energy of creativity and ideas. Uh, you have to start with kind of a focal point of the discussion, but then allow space within that. Yeah, and I think you have to have a good balance of the creative people and those who understand direction and, and can actually execute. And so I've been you know, part of a number of different teams in uh, the 20 odd years that I've been in this industry and have seen different aspects of that. And so while we're in a creative space in television, uh, having all creatives in a room is not necessarily the best <laughs> way to go because nothing will get done because we will always be dreaming. And I'm very visionary and I'm always coming up with these ideas. Um, and, and, you know, many of my peers also as well, but it's having those people in the room that say, okay, how do we take this idea now and actually implement it and, and execute it and execute it well. And again, I think that just goes back to why it's so important to have such a diverse working team, no matter what industry you're in, who, you know, those, those uh, that can dream and blue sky and come up with ideas that, you know, no one else could ever think of. And those that will say, okay, how do we capture that blue sky in a bottle now and make everybody, everybody else excited about it? So I think that's when you see the magic happen. Yeah, I totally, totally believe that as well. And and in my experience too, I'm a, I'm a, I, I, I think I've mentioned earlier, I do the Enneagram and, uh, and uh, I'm a seven on the Enneagram, which is a enthusiastic visionary. So I've got great, lots of great ideas. I would have never survived uh, unless I had people surrounding me who could actually take an idea and put it into a practical uh, experience and process moving forward. Probably that's why Alistair and I, I think he's laughing to himself in the background, certainly shaking his head of how do we, how do we understand that? And I, I'm wondering as a leader, how did you, when did you first recognize that, that idea of who you were and what you needed and that power of that that bring uh, diverse voices and skills and abilities around you. What, what has been your journey of, of discovery and then bringing that to life in your, in your various roles? Yeah, I have actually been a reluctant leader at times. And, uh, you know, just because I uh, like have ideas and I've, and I've just always thought, but that person could be a better leader, you know, and, and to be honest, I think it was certain people seeing something in me 
and and saying, you know what, I see that in you, Maggie, and I want to invest in you, and I actually think you should be in that position, and, uh, and reluctantly saying, okay, I'll step into it, and then I think because I was entrusted with it, I'm I'm an Enneagram eight surprise. I don't know how many people will be surprised by that, but <laughs> but um, and so it's interesting because as an eight, we have our you know, we have, you know, certain people think of certain ways when it comes to an eight. Um, and we could be uh, very forefront with our opinions, and I am. Um, but I think it was a matter of, of just somebody saying, you can do it. Mm. And then it was like pushing the ignition button, and all of a sudden, I walked into it. But I think I needed somebody to say, I see something in you. And so with that, um, I think I've made a lot of mistakes and 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 learned from that i think probably some of the big mistakes was maybe not being as clear about my direction or the direction of the team and kind of being that like let's everybody join in a room because i am a visionary um so really clarifying and real and realize that people just need an answer mm -hmm. so i think over the years i've learned about that um and, and also i think uh again, through my journey, um, realizing that so many people, again, as I said, have so much to contribute mm. to, um, to any sort of effort and really trusting that. Because I think, again, I, I had some really um, unfortunate um, examples of leadership. And I remember once hearing uh, a leadership coach saying that there are mentors on both sides. And I've never seen it this way. Because when you think of mentorship, you think of positive mentorship. You think of people kind of mentoring you into the direction in which you need to go. And not realizing that a part of that is also mentorship and what not to do, as I've said before. And so I think I had outweighed on the side of those who had mentored me in what not to do. Mm -hmm. And so when I stepped into it, a part of it too, Greg and Alistair, was not wanting to repeat the bad manager's um, habits, right? So like wanting to not do all those things that I had learned because it was just such a horrible experience and wanting to pivot almost too much to the other side. Right. And so I think as I grew in my leadership styles, reala realizing that there could be a midway point in that um, and, and that could be healthy and, that, and it could actually, you could actually see your team flourish in that area. Yeah, I love that, uh, especially that perspective. And, and we often do swing. And there is lots of learning throughout our podcast. In our last interview, we we had some, uh, the, the person we were interviewed shared some experience too of some like unbelievable uh, bad examples. Mm -hmm. But but her experience was, it's what you do with anything. And it's mm -hmm. being aware of how do I feel about this? Uh, how do I internalize that? And what do I want to do with that, both in response to those bad leaders, but also as I grow as a leader and then contribute as a, in a different position and going forward? I'm, I'm curious in that in those tough situations, how did you manage those situations when you found yourself in those besides being obviously reflective learning, but how do you manage in a situation? What were, what are the the insights or gifts that you can maybe share for others who find themselves in those crunchy, non-positive uh, uh, mentorship uh, scenarios? Yeah, well, a lot of them had to do with race. And mm. so a part of that, and I'm just, I'm a very, um, say it like it is type of person, uh, you know? So if, if, I'm in the, if, if I'm in the scenario, and, uh, and somebody says something or it's offensive, I just address it right away. And um, obviously not in front of people, but, you know, talk to the person and address it. And so, you know, I think what we're seeing today, uh, unfortunately, is not everybody is willing or ready to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't always result in uh, happy endings and people saying, oh, I see your, I see your point of view, Maggie. Uh, but just a lot of denial, unfortunately. And so you live with that. Um, I think as a, as a black woman, it just, um, it hurts and it's still there. And I realized that it's still there, that pain is still there. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I, I also feel like I've said it. I'm the type, I'm the type of person, my husband would, will tell you this, that, you know, if we're upset about something, we just deal with it, we move on. And so I dealt with it and you move on. 
but not wavering on what you'll tolerate, what you won't. So for me, I, just as a Black woman, it was just, I had to say something. And I'm always thinking about um, the other young people that are coming behind me. And hopefully in that conversation that I'm having with a manager or a leader about something, especially when it comes to race, hopefully that will plant a seed. And, and hopefully the next young person that comes along, um, they will be treated differently. That's really my hope and prayer. Um, but not allowing it to just sit there because it doesn't do anything for anybody. And, and you know, and, and realizing that not everybody's ready for the conversation. Yeah, you know what? Uh, one of the uh, common theme, actually, I'm, I'm uh, about to release a book called Safe Brave Spaces. And part of that is this, I, uh, how I discovered in myself, how some of the insights I've learned and learned from others of how to best to do that. But this whole idea of, and it's in our, in many of our podcasts, the two strengths that any of us can bring forward is the strengths of curiosity and of courage mm -hmm. and how important both of those are. Uh, courage, if you see something that is is not right and and or, or you disagree with having the courage to actually be able to articulate it like you've shared here and curiosity is that you're going to run into people with different perspectives different views different experiences that might be against some of your core uh as well and uh, you need to be curious about tell me more help me understand uh, but there's so much emotion and history and things that are behind there that are really uh, challenging in both of those situations. So we've talked a lot about that ability to be, um, to grow your curiousness, uh, to grow your courage and, and, and to importantly create the space for others to be able to do the same. And, yeah. um, and I think that's a key to leadership is, is separating that emotion because, and it's hard. We're human beings, right? We, we have emotion, but when, when you can separate that and just hear the person, no matter what the topic is, right? It could be, you know, anything for, for me, it could be, you know, the topic of a television show to, you know, balancing the books, whatever it might be. But to allow that space, again, that safe space, especially as a manager, where someone feels like I can come in and I don't have to wade through uh, Maggie's emotions to be able to just be honest with her. I don't have to like, you know, tippy toe through conversations because again, it doesn't help the end product. It doesn't. And I've definitely worked in scenarios like that where you're just always tippy toeing around people because they are driven by their emotions and it will come out. And so I think the best thing you can do is, and again, it's, it's, you know, I always feel as a, as a leader that there's a part of you that you just have to push down. And, and also you have to have people around you where you can just, and I think that's also important as a leader, you need to have a circle of people that you can just trust to be able just to release as well, because as a human being, you just can't hold it all in, yeah. Yeah. but you do have to create a place and a work scenario where people feel like, yeah, when I walk into, uh, you know, Greg's um, office, then I know that I'm safe, that I can just say what needs to be said, obviously in a respectful manner but I don't have to tippy toe like this landmine of emotions and nuances and all that stuff. But our, our focus at the end of the day is to make sure that the end product is well and it's servicing people well. Yeah, Maggie, you, you've kind of touched on actually our next question is what advice uh, would you give on your experience, based on your experience that would help managers and leaders create an environment to accelerate the participation and impact uh, of women, women of color within the workplace, you've kind of started talking about things that managers could do, but in particular for women and women of color, is there something that leaders and, and managers should be doing to create that opportunity for people to participate in just such a healthy, good way that at the end of the day, there is a good product and everybody at the end of the day feels like they've contributed that they're part of a team? Yeah. I think assuming that there are people of color within the boardroom, because again, that's the only way you're going to see change. So if that isn't happening, that needs to happen. Um, and then you need to empower that woman of color, man of color, whomever it might be in the boardroom so that they can speak their mind. So again, that goes back to having really good listening skills and saying, I want to hear Maggie's opinion on this. And, and not to the point of being a token, because I like I'm on this 
bandwagon right now about tokenism versus trailblazing because you know i'm seeing so much of it today you know since the the murder of george floyd and obviously this global conversation about anti-black racism you know we're seeing a lot more companies being aware that they might not be as diverse or inclusive as they thought they were and they're hiring all of these people but my fear is that they're hiring tokens and they're not hiring trailblazers they're not hiring people who have been given the permission to amplify their voice that when they sit in a boardroom that their voice is counted as much as the white gentleman that might be sitting next to them so i think that is key that as a manager that you are uh listening um again to the unique perspective and it's not, uh, and you're not treating the person as like, okay, now we've checked off the black voice and we're moving on. And we're still going to do what we thought we were going to do, but we've heard from her and now we're moving on. There, and, and you know, anybody can sniff that out, right? So um, when you know that you're being heard and when you know that you're being listened to, that only empowers you to want to do more for the company that you work for that you want to, again, you are, you're all on the same mission, you're all on the same boat with the clear direction of trying to make a good, you know, good end product. But if you feel like you're a token, then you're just banking it, you're just mailing it in every single day. Well, that kind of leads into the next question, which is what advice would you give, uh, you know, female employees, female employees of color, what advice would you give them so that uh, so that they could thrive and feel comfortable in that workplace? Is there anything that they can do? We're we're big in this podcast about the relationship between uh, managers and employees, managers to managers, employees to employees, managers to their bosses, and and you know this relationship it, it's so important. Is there any advice that you can give to those employees that are getting into these situations that at some point? Uh, are going to want to, you know, go up into the company into higher positions, maybe specialist positions or or whatever. Is, is there any advice you, you can give them in navigating this uh, this kind of situation that they find themselves in? And sometimes people are in a bad situation. Sometimes people are in a very good situation. Quite often, I find people are probably in a neutral situation. But is there any advice that you can give to to people that are, you know are are the employees that are looking for new opportunities? Yeah, I would say don't give up. And I, you know, there have been many a time where I've felt like giving up because, um, you know, there, you can kind of get the, the title of being, um, the person that's always instigating because you're, you're, you might be highlighting blind spots that a company or your manager, um, just doesn't see. And so, and, and you know, I've read so many, um, articles and books now recently about just women who have given up, Black women who have given up because they just feel like I'm always the one talking about these things. I'm always the one talking about injustice. I'm always the one highlighting, um, you know, these blind spots in my organization. And so, you know, you see a lot of Black women, especially just leaving industries, even news, um, because they're just don't, they don't feel like they're being heard. And so I, I, you know, I say this reluctantly because I have felt like giving up, but don't, don't give up because uh, the next generation needs us. Like they need to see us in these positions um, and they need to see us in the boardroom. And I don't just mean the next generation of black young people, but I mean the next generation of like human beings, period, need to see diversity and inclusion in the boardroom. You know, you guys might've heard this, but uh, uh, someone once said that diversity is um, inviting somebody to the dance and inclusion is actually asking them to dance. And, um, and so for so long, I think many of us have just been asked to dance and we're still waiting. And so that means having those uncomfortable conversations with your manager if you have to. Um, and, and that means not really um, giving up on, on that because these are hard conversations that need to happen. This is not optional. And I, and I think once we realize that these are not optional conversations, then we can move forward. But yeah, I, I, would, I think that would be my number one piece of advice, Alistair, is that you just, you, you can't give up even though it's so weary and so tiring. And also I think what's so key is creating uh, space, the same way I talked about being a, a manager and having an outlet that you could just release, you need that outlet outside of your, out of, outside of your business because you need to be able to release. And that's so important. But I would love to flip it because I think also there is a call for white people, especially in business, 
to also think about how do I change my perspective? And I might be jumping ahead here, but um, how do I change my perspective and how do I become an ally? How do I actually make my space more welcoming for black women, for black men? How do I make sure that their voice is amplified and heard in their businesses? And that just creates, again, a healthy environment for everybody. Yeah, I, I let the couple of things were bubbling up all over for me as you were talking, which was just fantastic. One that was bubbling up was I love the analogy of invite to the dance, ask them to dance. And I wonder if there's a third step, and that is uh, allow them to lead the dance mm -hmm. or take turns leading the dance together, you know, because uh, I think that's the last thing. And uh, uh, throughout, as, I've, I've, as I'm going through organizations right now and talking to different folks, I, I was saying, you know, we can get so, it can get complicated in the big plans. And I'm, I'm an HR guy, you know, it gets so complicated in these big plans of what we're going to do to do this, uh, but some of the simple questions are, uh, who's at the table, to your point? Um, uh, do you have the, all the voices at the table? Secondly, who's talking at the table? So they might be at the table, but are their voices being heard? But you're, you're uh, something that's really triggered in me that I've never really, as, is are those voices and ideas being um, implemented towards uh, the goals of the organization going forward. And that's the third piece because, hey, I grew up in the time when I, uh, when I was an HR leader and they had all the networks, which were really good to bring voices and community. But uh, when we applied those to how does this unique voices of the communities reflect the communities that we serve as an organization, then it intertwines it with what we're trying to do in the organization. It becomes a duh we want to hear these voices because guess who's buying our products, our services, watching our programs? It's a, it's a diverse uh, field out there. So how do you tap into that? So I've always tried to shift and say, okay, um, the, the value of tapping into this and, and the, the diversity. So that's something from my perspective that, uh, and I appreciate that other piece that you've really added to my view of, it's not just about are they are folks there, it's not just the voice, are their voices being heard, it's about what are we doing um, to incorporate their unique perspectives and insights into the work, the purpose, the uh, strategies of the organization or community or whatever that is. Yeah, and I think a part of that is not leaving, the, you know, my, the sole black person in your boardroom or whoever to to carry that onus of having to then speak for their whole community, right? And so, I mean, that's also a weight that nobody should have to carry. Um, and so, again, how do you also, as a manager, as a business leader, um, educate yourself about just what's happening in the world. And if you're not then seeing incremental changes in your organization, in the way things are run, in, in what is being um, exported out of your organization, then you have to question, are, are you actually listening and are you actually learning from what's happening hopefully within your organization? Because there, there has to be fruit that's born out of this. Mm. And so uh, what is the fruit that's coming out of creating more inclusion in within your organization because uh, you know i i can't carry the load neither can any other black person carry the load nor nor should they um but it has to be a collective effort yeah and i think it's about also us taking ownership and saying hey here's what i've discovered here's what i'm learning and here's what i'm doing to change this uh this situation that's happening in there that leaders being vulnerable and recognize it but actually taking the shared ownership uh and not expecting this group this this person to be the voice that ongoing voice that creates the the fatigue the frustration that that you were describing earlier mm -hmm. yeah hmm. yeah maggie um Greg and I, one of the reasons why uh, we wanted to um, bring more chairs up to the diner table was uh, we, we come from a position of absolute privilege uh, and it, it impacts our education, you know, where we've worked, our economics, our status. And over, especially over the last probably eight or nine months, there's been a lot of talking. Uh, I find myself in a position, a posture of listening and learning. And one of the words that is kicked around sometimes is that reconciliation word. And both in the secular and the sacred world, I've been witness or participated in 
a bunch of conversations, sometimes actions, symbolic actions. And I'm just wondering, and sometimes this has been uh, like in groups and in between individuals. And I'm just wondering, uh, knowing, you know, one of the positions that you hold at the meeting house, have you personally benefited from an interaction either in a group setting, uh, I guess group settings are like on Zoom now, but uh, group settings or individual settings, like maybe an interaction with somebody that you found really, really helpful in terms of reconciliation and understanding. Because, you know, part of our, the purpose of, of this kind of segment of our, of our podcast is, is to understand uh, as, as individuals and also part of a community, is there things that, that in acknowledging uh, inequalities and sometimes just terrible things happening, is there something that you benefited from that you found really meaningful in your personal experience? Yeah, that's a great question. This past summer, I had the privilege of being a part of a book uh, club group online as we're doing everything. Um, and it was all with uh, young white people from my church, from the meeting house. And, uh, and so I was invited to join it and it was refreshing. It was amazing. We were going through a book and I'm, the book's name is escaping me right now and I'm trying to remember it. Um, but as we went through it, like this group of, I think about maybe 15 young people uh, were just so honest about journeying through this dialogue and, and just being so honest about uh, where they, the things they don't understand, their shortcomings, things that they've grappled with, even racist things that they have done in the past. And I have never experienced that before, where I was, again, the, like, I think, no, I think there were two people of color in the room, or in the Zoom room. Um, but to have that conversation that was just so raw and honest, and we were going through this book written by uh, a Black man, and as he's sharing his perspective and talking about the church in uh, the States, maybe I'll get you the name of the book and then you can put it in your show notes. Um, it, was, it was just so refreshing because I think I've been in so many um, uh, examples and experiences and dialogues where people are just um, negating, they are avoiding, they are putting the blame back on the victims and, and walls just keep being built up. And there's just so much emotion and so much denial that you almost brace yourself as a black person when you enter into conversations like this. And, and so to go into a conversation with 15 young, young white people who are just saying, yeah, I have a lot to learn. And yeah, that makes sense. And I just want to understand, you know, my friends a lot more. And I want to sit and just listen more was mind-blowing like I think it was more life-giving to me than it was to those young young people because I just needed that I needed to see that there are a group of people especially when I talk about next generation because it's so it's just a thing on my heart that actually get it and want to understand it and realize they don't get everything but I think when I say they get it they get the fact that they need to learn more they get the fact that they're not there yet um, and, and that they want to change the world. They want to do something differently. I mean, we look at, you know, those that were protesting in the streets all over the world, and it was that generation. It's, you know, it's the millennials. It's, it's Gen Z or whoever's coming after them that's saying, I'm, I'm not cool with seeing the world this way, and I need to see change. And so that was uh, just so encouraging to me when you talk about reconciliation, because I think for the first time, in a long time, I felt like this is possible. So was that planned or did that accidentally happen? Uh, you know, just kind of, I'm a kind of a process guy. Did you go into that uh, anticipating that or was that the purpose or did it, was it just a, a, a wonderful surprise? Yeah, I didn't know who was going to be a part of this book club. So I was just invited by, uh, by someone. And so when I, when I logged on, I was like, oh, wow, well, I'm just the only one here. Um, <laughs> as the only black person there, there was another person of color. But yeah, so it was just like, oh, wow. And I just listened for a long time because I just didn't know what I was getting into. But so pleasantly surprised to the point where I was looking forward every week to coming back because it, the conversation was just so rich and so honest. That's so interesting because Greg and I quite often, uh, uh, Greg rants sometimes about things when companies plan something and there's a whole bunch of topics and I do as well. And what I love about that example there is that there's times when things just happen and you have to have your eyes open 
And then when the opportunity is there, when this wonderful thing is developing, you have to just jump in and, and just go for the ride. And, and in your case, it sounds like you were, you know, you ended up in a very good type of situation where people were talking, they were authentic, they were honest. And I, I think that's a kind of a theme that we've been tripping over uh, during these podcasts when all of a sudden, you know, there's a conversation uh, or something happens. And despite all our planning as managers and leaders, we could have never have come up with this, but it's that ability to be open uh, to the suggestion that something's happening. And I, I think that's a wonderful lesson in this space, but in a bunch of other spaces as well, that sometimes when something good happens, you just have to jump in and go for the ride. Absolutely. Absolutely. I also think it's a great model from your the earlier discussion of what can we do in whatever space we're in, whether we're a leader or whether we're just an individual contributor or whatever, how do we start modeling that curiosity that vulnerability, that willingness to listen, that acknowledgement of, boy, I don't know everything and, uh, or, or that makes me feel uncomfortable and I need to work through that and, and or whatever that is, but that, that, that truly uh, safe, brave space of which you kind of have a an open dialogue. If we can start modeling that, and it, it reflects again back to the emotions ideas of knowing that I might have surges of things that I don't understand that are swirling within me, but how do I, within that context, um, be curious and, and, and be vulnerable and, and share kind of, hey, this is, you know, I, I didn't think that. I, I grew up in Brantford, uh, which is uh, right beside Six Nations. And, and part of my journey has also been going through a number of programs on Indigenous understanding the history because I was raised in a context of this and, and, and by being open and understanding it's shocking. And so it is part of that. So I love that. How, what can we do? We can start by um, showing up in a curious, vulnerable um, uh, discovery uh, uh, phase in, in whatever situation, which brings energy and joy to those that have uh, that uh, maybe have have experienced this in their lives. Uh, that's a beautiful example. Yeah, and I think um, the fear is to not just stop at listening and showing up. But then, how do we move that into action? So, you know, a lot of dialogue around anti-black racism right now is you know this allyship. But you know, some people are talking about how do you then become a co-conspirator? Co mm -hmm. And so, a part of that is like, how do we move this into action? So, you know, you're posting Black Lives Matter or whatever it might be, you're, you know, like you feel like you're woke. And, and so how do you then transition from that to being that voice in your business where, um, and in the boardroom where, you know, it's not Maggie, the black woman that's always touting all of this stuff, but she feels like she has co-conspirators in the boardroom who are also saying, hey, how about this? You know, have we taken into consideration, you know, Asian Canadians? Have we taken into consideration whatever it might be uh, that you're talking about at that moment, but not feeling like, you know, the, the token or whoever's in the, in the room has to carry that load? So it goes back to my, my um, previous point. But how do you move into action and also carrying that and saying, okay, um, it is my responsibility as not, as, as not a, a person of color to also move the needle forward, that I can't just put that pressure. And so that's that's the next stage is becoming a co-conspirator and being able to do the story of, well, you remember the Charlottesville riots and protests that happened a number of years ago. And there's a story of a woman that climbed, a black woman that climbed a, um, a flagpole to take down the Confederate flag. Well, the police started coming and they were going to actually put uh, shockers on the pole to, bring this woman down. So a white man actually wrapped himself around the pole to stop it from happen happening and the, and the police did not do it because he knew the, he knew the privilege he had and he knew that his life meant something. And so he wrapped himself around the pole and that was a co-conspirator. You know, that was somebody that wasn't like, okay, I'm just gonna stand here and continue protesting, but no, I'm going to join this woman in whatever she's doing at that moment. And so how do we wrap our, ourselves around whatever that proverbial pole is and say, no, I'm going to stand in the gap with that person? Wow, I, I've never heard that story. I cannot believe I've never heard this story. And it's so visual and um, uh, provoke, 
it, it provokes me to act it, is that grabbing the pole mm -hmm. is, a, is a good call to action. What's the pole that I'm going to grab to? Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Mm. Yeah, Greg, do you have a, a couple of closing comments? Oh my goodness. No, just, um, I, are I, we at the end already? This has been a great conversation. <laughs> we can go to extra minutes. No problem at all. And when Greg says he doesn't have anything to say, that's not what that means. That's, that's, I, There's I, another 15 minutes. Of something <laughs> maybe, so. I just, I just, I think that, um, you know, with perspective, I love the analogy of the dance. That's it, really kind of those, the two analogies of the dance inviting, um, uh, you know, uh, making sure that people are at the dance, inviting to the dance. And then I, I will add um, uh, sharing uh, the lead in the dance. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and then this, then grabbing onto the pole and how do we, how do we show up? And uh, uh, I'm just, it's inspiring and continue to, I mean, I'm doing a lot of reading and doing all the right things. Uh, uh, I've, I've got a part of a group that we're talking about how do we show up uh, both as a faith community and also just individuals in, in, in uh, um, with, and what are the systemic um, issues that we have in ours and the barriers in our lives. And so we're talking about the right things, but you're right. It's about what can we do and moving to action. Um, uh, just it's inspiring and um I'm rambling now because I'm so excited and and and, uh, and uh, inspired to move forward. So um, this is not the clearest conclusion I've had. <laughs> well, I, I was just going to say, as, as you were chatting, Greg, you know, a piece of advice that I've given a, a number of people who have asked about, like, what books should I read or what should, you know, what should I do next? And I, you know, I've chuckled and said, am I like the Black Whisperer now? But, you know, anyways, um, I'm not the Black Whisperer, never will be. But, um, you know, one thing I, I challenge people is, you know, like, ask yourself, like, what, what does my friendship circle look like? Like, who are the people that I'm talking to? What, what is the echo chamber? Because we all have these echo chambers. What does that look like? What does that sound like? And if it's not diverse, you need to really ask, your, ask yourself why. And I think even more as managers, as leaders, you need to ask yourself, why do I not have a di diverse um, group of voices that I'm, you know, chatting with, talking with, dialoguing with? And then, you know, and, and that doesn't mean then you go out to the next person that's on the street, a black person say, hey, I want to become your friend. Like, I think this is, you know, a little deeper than that. Yeah, yeah. But, but if you do have people of color in your life, I really would challenge those that are listening who are white to just sit down and listen to their stories, listen to their lived reality, because, you know, what you'll find is a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. And what you'll also find is somebody who might be grateful that you've asked, because I think a lot of times we speak over and we're just listening to the, to the noise. And I think one of you had said that there's just so much noise in the world today. But when you actually are able to put yourself into that person that you love, that, that friend's shoes and listen to their journey, this hopefully will change your perspective on things. Because, you know, what I love to say is once we realize that this is not a black and white issue, that this is a human being issue, that's the only time we're going to see real change. And so when you are able to sit with somebody you love, somebody that you would stand on the line for and listen to their journey and hear their pain, that makes everything so different, right? Because then when you pick up that next book to read, you're, you're thinking about that person that you sat with, um, that you've journeyed with, that you know that their struggle is real, and that just brings everything to life. And then you'll find ways of applying that. Because I think it's one thing to just pick up a book and read and, and think you know it all. It's the other thing when you're actually walking with somebody through life and you see the pain that they go through every single day um, that hopefully will start to see change. I love, yeah. I love that, Maggie. I really do. And, and to me, that just kind of, uh, that story about you having the, the book club uh, meetings with uh, the younger generation and where they were just so open, it really, it's totally resonated with me. And I love that uh, rather than just going along and checking a box. Oh, I read that book by that author because somebody suggested it to me. But that, you know, to have, to journey with people, and I don't know how many weeks you journeyed with these, these young people, but to me, that is what really resonates with me in this conversation, because I, I think we've all been, well, we've 
I think everybody's tried to be have a posture of learning and listening, but it's that interaction and getting into somebody's story and listening to what they've experienced. Uh, I think it is all about storytelling. I don't think it's about a checkbox. It really is that. And I, I really appreciate today because we're really getting some stories from you. Mm. And I, I just think that's been such a, a wonderful thing. And I don't actually want the conversation to stop. So, Greg, do you have another session where you don't want to say anything? Or are you good? Or what's going on? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I'm good. Yeah, But I, 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 we may have to have a part two because this was just a beautiful conversation. Maggie, do you have anything in, in close? You've said a bunch of things that in any conversation would be a great closer. Is there anything else on your, mar on your mind or your heart that you'd like to share with uh, our listeners? Yeah, I, I think my last thing would be as leaders, we have to be quick to say we, we messed up. You know, like we have to, and you probably, you know, you guys probably know this already. It's just, you know, being clear that you made a mistake. Because, you know, I, I don't, as we started off the conversation talking about bad examples, I don't know if I always had really great examples of that. Um, and recently I had to, I had to say that I had to just own up and say, you know what, I messed up on that. You're totally, someone called me out on something. And I said, you're absolutely right. I shouldn't have done it that way. And the temperature, like it just, like the ease that just came into the room, well, not the Zoom room, in just being able to own up and say, you know what? I am so sorry, and to take ownership for that. I think, I've, again, as an employee, just to hear that from your leader, from your boss, from your manager, that they're owning up to something like, is huge. Because, again, I think just respect level. But then as a leader, just saying, you know, I'm, I, I just, yeah, I'm, human be I'm a human being, and I messed up on that, and you're absolutely right. And how do we fix this? How do we move on? Um, I think it's just key to healthy relationship. Um, both as we talk about uh, diversity and inclusion, but just in general as, as leaders um, in industries. I, I love that. I love that. I think that's so good. Uh, Maggie, thank you so much for spending uh, this time with us. And I think we might have to think about a part two at some point because uh, the conversation just went so well. Uh, to our listeners, uh, we hope that some of the stuff that we've talked about you find helpful. We, we hope that you didn't find anything we spoke of made you really angry. But I think this is, again, another episode, uh, Greg, where your happier P philosophy really, really does ring true. Right. Yeah. So, Maggie, we end each of our podcasts with a uh, something that I discovered through coaching earlier on through my coach. And uh, I discovered that when I would leave my coaching sessions, I'd often leave with both uh, being joyful and happy that I'd, I'd done something, I'd moved ahead on something, or what I call churny or peeved about something that stung a bit. Mm. And uh, what we encourage and we hope in these podcasts, because uh, in both of those situations, it's what we do with it. It's what we choose to move forward on. And I learned as much from the little stingy things, that honest, direct, respectful feedback that I got that didn't make me feel that comfortable as I did from the encouragement and joy that was giving me to move forward. So we, we, we hope that people leave our, our podcast being a little joyful and maybe a little, little churny and peeved uh, uh, and dig deep into that and discover what it's telling you and move forward with it. And that's what we encourage and hope uh, that comes out of these. Yeah, and remember people, uh, people matter. Take time with the people you work with. They're a very important part of your job, your success, or your failure. Talk to you next time. Take care.